The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. Uh, we're joined by journalist and broadcaster Lise Hand and by Mark Paul of the Irish Times. And Mark, uh, first of all, tell us about the latest controversial, shall we say, statement by Vladimir Putin. Yeah, well, Vladimir Putin today held a big ceremony in the Kremlin to formally annex, um, in his eyes, um, the four uh, disputed regions of, of Ukraine, four regions that he's invaded and where the, where the war is at the moment. That's Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson and Zaporizhia. Um, and it was like something from North Korea, a big hall filled full of his acolytes. Um, he formally annexed them. He gave a very, very weird speech, quite frankly. I mean, it was like something from a Michael Myers movie um, where he spoke about Satanism and despotism in the West. He accused Britain of trying to um, blow up energy infrastructure. Um, but which clearly they wouldn't be capable of doing. Which, yeah, yeah. You, you can't imagine that they'd have the competence for that at the moment. Um, but the but, idea is ludicrous. The, the idea is ludicrous, of course. I mean, you know, whoever, if it was Russia that uh, that blew up the Nord Stream lines, you know, this sort of confusion is what they want. But Vladimir Zelensky, the, the president president of Ukraine has come out in the last hour or 90 minutes or so with what is actually the perfect response. He's, 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 he has seized the initiative from Vladimir Putin's annexation and by formally applying for natorship of um, for membership of NATO, which is like threatening Russia back with, 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 with nuclear weapons itself. I mean, if Ukraine becomes a member of NATO, NATO is a nuclear-backed defence force, obviously. Um, so it's, it's, it's like the, it's like the in, in the game of bluff, this massive game of geopolitical bluff, it's like the perfect response to the annexation. Analysis. I wonder, Lisand, because the rules of NATO are that if one member of NATO is attacked, then all the members of NATO have to go to the defence of that member. Which means that if Ukraine becomes a member of NATO and Russia then does attack Ukraine, everyone else has to pile in behind Ukraine, which could bring us to the edge of the type of thing that we grew up with, the potential for nuclear oblivion. Well, exactly as one football manager was wont to say, it's squeaky bum time, (laughs) no doubt about it. Um, I mean, it really... I mean, you kind of have to laugh, otherwise you just end up curled up in a fetal position under the table. I mean, all this talk of ratcheting it up, you know, the responses and, um, and you know, talking about nuclear, you know, deterrence and all that. And then physical or attacks that look like attacks on infrastructure as well. It's, and there's, there's a massive uh, blame game going on there. I mean, the Russian, Russia are pointing at Yeah, you know, isn't Europe. that perhaps why we have more to worry about that? There will be the threat of nuclear... Armageddon, but that is very, very unlikely. However, there could be an enormous amount of damage done to us in the West, to everybody in the West, by things like cutting off the gas supplies, by blowing up the lines. Going back to the things like what happened to us in our health service last year when you had the attack on our computer systems, that these are the type of things that potentially the Russians do have the ability to do. Well, this is very true. And in a I suppose you could look at it um, that perhaps then what happened to Nord Stream has possibly done the West a favour, as in it has provided a massive and timely wake-up call at the vulnerability of structures like that and infrastructure like that. I mean, a massive, something like a third of the internet traffic between the US and the EU goes through a set of, pipe, a set of uh, cables that is, literally comes in to Ireland. And... There's been a lot, you know, a few months ago when the uh, the Russian Navy were doing naval exercises just outside the exclusion zone, a lot of people were saying, look, what are they doing? Are they actually maybe mapping the, you know, those lines in, in sort of shallow water before they go deep and so on? And, you know, now there's a lot of chat today about the security around infrastructure like that. So perhaps what's happened to Nord, to Nord Stream, no matter who the perpetrator was, has started to concentrate minds on that sort of 
But would you think, Mark Paul, that perhaps a lot of the defences have been put in place by the EU and the United States, by the West, that we haven't seen any more hacking episodes because their defences have been put in place? And also maybe the Russians are aware that in retaliation, their entire computer internet network could be taken down. It it could be hacked, but I mean, the the Nord Stream, um, what happened earlier on this week with the Nord Stream uh, uh, pipes getting blown up, I mean, it just goes to show there's, it doesn't have to be hacking, there can be be so many things that it can do. I mean, the the, the Russian, you know, uh, in inverted commas, naval exercises off the southwest coast of Ireland uh, a couple of months ago, they look really suspicious now in hindsight. Um, um, And they were treated like a big laugh and our fishermen were going out to stop it happening. But I mean, those cables that that Lee's mentioned, and they run the entire length of the Atlantic, if those cables were snipped. Goodbye to Google. Goodbye to Facebook. Goodbye to Amazon. Goodbye to Ireland's tech industry until those are repaired. And, and you know, perhaps, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, nobody knows how Nord Stream was blown up. Nobody knows for sure if it was the Russians, but sure, look, that's what a lot of people suspect. Maybe it was done by mines that were laid a long time ago and, uh, and were blown up by remote control And because it's a really difficult thing to do. So, look, th- there's a lot of stuff going on here that just makes us feel like we're back in the 1980s. I mean, I feel like going home tonight and watching The, the Hunt for Red October or something like that or or, uh, or, or going back and, and Stranger Things seems uh, seems like a really warm rug to wrap myself around right now. It's just, um, um, yeah, we're back to the 1980s and I'm not sure I like it, Matt. Okay, but back four years ago, there were a lot of people who felt going to the World Cup in Russia was entirely inappropriate, that it should not have been staged there. And since then, we've seen Russia thrown out of all sorts of sporting competitions, not just because of the invasion of Ukraine, but because they've been cheats on the drug front for so many years. We now have Qatar this year, 2022, is going to be the host for the World Cup. Uh, tell us about the kit manufacturer who has decided not to have its logo on the Danish jerseys for this year's World Cup. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and it's caused, you know, it's, it's causing a bit of a furore. Uh, the Danish team had basically said all along that, you know, they will take some steps um, to register a protest um, um, about, you know, going to the World Cup uh, or show solidarity for the migrant workers. Nobody knows how many, but there's figures as many as six, sort of six and a half thousand over the 10 years. Have died, have in, died constructing the stadium. in constructing the stadiums. Um, there's massive disputations about the figures. That's obviously disputed from the far side. And um, the manufacturers came out with um, their jer- the, the jerseys that they will wear. And Instead of being the usual kind of, you know, festooned with all the national colours and all the chevrons and all the logos and all that, they just have a white jersey, um, a red jersey and all plain and a black jersey. And the black, they're sort of saying, is the third, their third option, kit option. And that would be one to, quote unquote, mourn for the workers that died um, in the constructions of the of, of the. Uh, or in, you know, while the stadiums were being constructed. Now, this hasn't gone down well, of course, in Qatar at all. And they have basically, you know, they're just pushing back against it. But it does, I think, raise the stakes enormously for the rest of the, uh, like a lot of the other countries. Because, say, for instance, someone like Nike would be sponsor a lot of the kits for a lot of the other the other teams taking part and you know they have just been mute they have so far they haven't really taken any steps but you know the Denmark stepping forward really has put a bit of pressure on the other teams Yeah but is it 
to use that horrible phrase, a bit of virtue signalling on the part of Denmark and the kit manufacturers. It, I mean, they are going to the World Cup like everybody else is going. Look, maybe it's equal parts virtue signalling, equal parts um, a, a genuine protest and equal parts um, trying to protect their commercial brand. I mean, what Hummel, the brand in, in question, have really done is they've really just faded out their logo. They don't want their, what they're saying is we don't want our logo, um, our commercial logo associated with this World Cup. But I mean, World Cups exist almost to be a, a kind of a, a, a jam for for for, uh, for corporate logos. I mean, you know, going back to okay, in, uh, in Russia in, in twenty eighteen, in Brazil in twenty fourteen, and, and before that in South Africa, every big brand in the world wants to be seen at the World Cup. Is this the first World Cup where brands don't want to be seen? Because there's also LGBTQ issues as well of as course. the deaths of migrant workers. Of, 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 of course, I mean, I mean, I mean uh, gay people just don't have any rights whatsoever in Qatar. It's illegal um, in Qatar. So there's that issue. There's the issue of migrant workers. Um, and there's also the issue over how the World Cup ended up in Qatar in the first place. I mean, By I mean, corruption. But yet, aren't we all going to end up watching it? So doesn't that mean the sports washing these will work when we will be watching all of the games? And I know that we will be talking about each game here on the radio each day. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, you know, there has been some, I think, attempt to get traction on advising people or urging people not to actually tune in and watch it. But you know, I just don't think that's going to wash, to be absolutely honest with you. Um, it really isn't. And I think you're right. That it'll start, there'll be a lot of talk up to the first whistle. Um, there'll be lots of people taking sides and so on. But once the first game starts and once then it gets into it, that unfortunately Maybe the will... second game, though. I think it's Ecuador. Well, Ecuador. Okay. Ecuador. Ecuador the first game. We might, we might give that one a miss. <laughs> there's, there's a part of me that almost hopes that England does well because if they got knocked out early, my God, it might tip them over the edge, you know, so... <sighs> We'll yeah. get to Liz Truss and tipping over the edge <laughs> in just a moment. But Lisa, there's another story. Just to come back to Ireland for a little while. And of course, your restaurant reviewer with the Sunday Times. Will you be now visiting this pub restaurant, <laughs> which has pulled a nice little publicity stunt, maybe saying that you get a discount on your bill if you leave your coat on when you visit, which would be an excuse for them not maybe to have the heating on? <laughs> well, I mean, you have to admire you have to admire their chutzpah and I suppose their whatever it takes these days. And let's face it, I mean, you know, we've all been softened up for this after having to, you know, eat outdoors in freezing conditions when when outdoor dining was the only option or outdoor drinking was the only option during the pandemic. I mean, I spent a few very miserable... Yeah, but you'd not, big you know, outside heaters as well. Well, not always, <laughs> not always. But, um, you know, look, I think this is... This is just, you know, probably people will say, well, look, if it knocks a few quid off my meal or my pint, you know, I'm fine wearing my coat indoors. Personally, I don't really have a problem with it. it it's <laughs> clever marketing by uh, by Dial's Corner Pub. I mean, the publican behind this, Ronan Flood, he's known in the industry as a very, very clever marker. He also owns Oscars in Smithfield. I don't know if you know it, but no. if, if you remember during the lockdowns when you had to get a nine euro meal, and but you could go into Oscars and you could donate your nine euros to charity instead. And they got in trouble actually over that. Um, but they also got in the newspapers. Um, and they've, made, they've had other little... Um, and, and promotions like this in the past. So look, it's very, very clever marketing from Ronan Flood and from uh, from Doyle's Corner Pub and Fisra and good luck to them. We are going to talk now about Liz Truss, the British Prime Minister, in office since the 6th of September and there are now doubts as to whether she'll get to the 6th of November. And that might seem an extreme interpretation, but things are so bad for her. There are lots of no-confidence letters in her own party going in at present. And she faces a Conservative Party conference starting on Monday, which Nick Ferrari will be reporting from for us, at which things could get even worse. But could they get worse than the interview that she did, or a range of interviews she did across BBC Local Radio yesterday morning? 
given a lot of jip about tax cuts and excessive borrowing and the fate of sterling and pensions. But the little bit we're going to play for you is about fracking because not much commented upon, but there was a decision taken by the British government to allow for onshore fracking throughout the UK. Let's hear what happened to her with Graham Liver on Radio Lancashire. But your local MPs don't want it, all Conservative. In the past, the County Council have said they didn't want it, yet your government overturned it. The science hasn't changed. Why can't you tell us this morning there won't be a return to fracking in Lancashire? Well, I don't, I don't accept the premise of your question. Uh, Why? It's certainly the case at present. Uh, well, because what I've said is if there is local consent, we will go ahead. We need to explore where there is local consent and where there isn't, and we're still doing that work. Your I Chancellor, don't think we should rule out the whole okay. of Lancashire. You talked about how it's a success in other countries... But in America, they do it in the middle of nowhere. Do you actually know where Preston New Road is, where they have been fracking? Well, I don't. I I don't think I've been to that site in the past. Shouldn't you? Well, as I've said, we will only go ahead with projects where there is local consent. I'm very, very clear about that. Now, we will make sure that that local consent is in place. And if there is a concern about a particular site, those concerns will, of course, be looked at and taken into account. I think it's fair to say, Mark Paul, she's not the world's best communicator. No, she's not. It's a little bit like Boris Johnsonism without the charm, you know. I mean, look, she, she's really just made such an awful, awful start and you, you wonder how can she recover from it. Um, I mean, I was I was quite taken as well by the, the front cover of The Economist this week. I mean, a couple of weeks ago they were saying that maybe she'll surprise on the upside. And the front cover this week is a picture of herself and Quasi Quarteng, the, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, trying to captain a sinking boat. And the headline is how not to run a country. It's very, very hard to come back from this sort of stuff with the public, with the media, and also with international investors and the sort of people who are paying for your folly and who are financing your government. If people lose faith um, and, and people of that type lose faith in her this quickly, she's really doomed. I mean, how can she come back? Lisa, might there be a certain degree of sympathy for her in that interview situation yesterday morning where she's sitting in a studio in London doing a whole range of seven or eight minute interviews with different BBC regional programmes around the country, that there's a slight delay on the line which might actually account for some of those pauses or is it that she just simply isn't quick-witted enough to actually give us the sort of bluster that Boris Johnson would have given us? Oh, I think the answer is door B. I have no sympathy, not a shard, uh, none. Uh, I mean, I actually tried to think about a comparison and all I could come up with was the famous Joe Jacobs interview about the iodine tablets back in 2001. Remind us of that. With Marion Finucane. Oh, my God. Um, that was, it, it was just probably the most classic piece of, of car crash political radio of all time when Marion Finucane was doing an, an item on her morning show um, talking about the iodine tablets. and the, Which the, we were all supposed to take in which the event we were, of a nuclear Yes, outbreak, if, yeah. if Sellafield is targeted by terrorists in the wake of the, the 9-11 attack. And um, Joe Jacobs decided to go on a solo run and he rang in. I mean, it was he took the initiative, which I'd say causes heart attacks in his department and rang in as the, I think he was the junior minister in charge and proceeded then just to give the most extraordinary interview. And it... It went on and on. I mean, it went on for nearly at about 40 minutes. And Marion Finucane could hardly keep it together. I mean, she was, her incredulity was just spilling out over the, the thing. And he kept on saying, no, you're going to get the tablets and it'll be great. And we're going to send them out. And 
I mean, it was. We did actually. Did we all not get iodine tablets? Oh, we did, stage? and they moulded in drawers and in, in you know, yeah. in biscuit tins until they basically went out of date. I mean, the whole thing was just farce. What's it? Do you take an iodine tablet when you see the nuclear flash? Yes. Yeah, that was that was literally it. And how will they, you know, if there's a nuclear thing, how are they going to get? How are they going to deliver the tablets? I mean, it was just classic. And when I was listening to to the the interviews this morning or yesterday, I just thought to myself, you know what? Somebody was being too smart and said. Don't, you know, do go, don't go in front of one of the, you know, hard faced, experienced people, you know, people will send you out to the quote unquote boonies. But of course, you see, they made a huge mistake that if you go on regional radio, I mean, everybody can listen to it. You know, uh, you know, they can can. You know, it's not that you have to go and get radio and tune in and, you know, it's all crackly. Nowadays, everybody picks it up. And it was and also you're dealing with a lot of presenters that are dying for this. They don't really this is have our any, five minutes of fame. Yeah. And they don't have any. You know, they also they're not trying to sort of forge relation, cosy relationships they're just going for it and they're you know they're, they're roots they're rooted in their communities and, and they know what the issues is which is why she got completely snookered on fracking Could we end up with Boris Johnson coming back a triumphant return Mark? Well look that's the conspiracy theory isn't it this is why he and the conspiracy theory is this is why he backed her in the leadership race for two reasons number one he knew it was the best way of stopping Rishi Sunak and also because he knew she would mess it up sooner or later and that He uh, could return in he triumph could, He could return Ride but, back in on his white <laughs> Steed. But if he returns in triumph, he would have to return before a general election and he would have to return whilst she was Prime Minister and that she would fail as Prime Minister. Because can you really imagine Boris Johnson um, in the trenches of opposition politician, leading the Tories in opposition? But I don't could, know if Could I he be that. the only chance, Lise, that the Tories have? They're now God. 33% oh. behind in the opinion polls to Labour. They're facing potential wipeout in the next general election under Liz Truss unless she somehow manages to restore things. I mean, could British politics be mad enough that the Tories will decide the only chance they have of being able to fight an election which they might be able to win is to bring back Boris? Well, the massive disconnect that exists between the Tory party, uh, what they think the country wants and what the country actually needs is so vast that they could be crazy enough to do it, but they will get absolutely punished. I mean, they re- I think they're in a no-win situation. I mean, the glass has gone off Boris. Everybody knows that he's just a prime spoofer. Um, and, you know, he still the, the, has his fans. I think it's a dwindling fan base and I think he'd find it a lot, further, a lot harder up north going up well, know, to get it. those it's, red votes. It's the northern constituencies, isn't it, that went Tory the last time that are probably now at this stage and we give them their chance they can shag off the next time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, all, all, you know, all across the north of England, they broke through that red wall and they, uh, you know, they, uh, they, they were electing Tories in, in places where, you know, they've been electing sort of coal miner sons for generations um, and, and they'll never give them a second chance. What Britain probably needs is a really, really, really boring, solid Prime Minister and look, you kind of, um, you wonder is Keir Starmer uh, precisely the sort of guy they need right now, somebody to calm down politics in the UK. Mark, Paul and Lise Hand, thank you both very much for being with us here on The Last Word at FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper Today FM It all happens here